I don't often do this, but these guys put in a lot of work um, just playing and serving you guys and, and worshiping the Lord every week. So give them give them a hand because um, they are they're like the unsung heroes. But I'm about to, no the singing the singing heroes. Um, but uh, if you want to, if you're musically inclined and you want to be on the music team, just talk to Mike or talk to Adam, um, and because uh, we're always looking for people to use their gifts for the Lord. The other the other thing I wanted to say uh, too tonight is I wanted to um, introduce you to uh, my friend and pastor Mike Coleman back here. Mike's over there, and uh, just to let you know, you know. Um, RUF is connected, uh, you know, I'm a minister in the Presbyterian Church, and so um, I have a committee. Did you guys know that? I have a committee, and Mike Coleman's actually the chairman of the committee. And uh, so he, you know, we meet together several times a year, and uh, they help me with the ministry. They pray for, pray for me, they help me raise money, and they do a lot of different things. And so I'm connected uh, with this greater group of of people out there, the, the church. And so uh, and it's a real blessing. So thanks for being here. We're, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to look up here, uh, tonight we're looking at this uh, amazing story, Jesus' transfiguration. And as I was thinking about this, I was saying this is kind of like Jesus in 3D. Okay? Because it's an amazing story. Um, but it's the center point of the Gospel of Mark. And so we're not going to get through all the stories. We only have a few more weeks left in the semester. But uh, chapter 8 is the center of the Gospel of Mark. And the first eight chapters are basically this. Mark is telling us who Jesus is. This is who He is. Look at these miracles. Look at Him casting out demons. Looking, look at uh, how He raises the dead. This is the Messiah. This is God Himself. And so in the middle of Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks His disciples, who do people say I am? And who do you say I am? And this is where we have Peter's confession, where he says, uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Uh, you are God Himself. And so, that's kind of the supreme, kind of highlighted verse in the middle of the, of the Gospel of Mark. And then, the, the, from then on, it's, it's kind of going towards Jesus' main work. And that main work is His death on the cross for sinners. And so, now we're kind of journeying uh, onward to Jerusalem. And so, um, one of the interesting things is as soon as Jesus says, this is who I am, um, He also talks about His work and what He's going to do. And in 8.31, He says this, And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And Peter, who just confessed to the Lord, hey, you're the Son of God, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ, tries to get Jesus to say to, to, to turn away from His main work of going to the cross. He's like, that's ridiculous. And he rebukes Jesus. And, uh, and Jesus has to take him aside and basically say, get behind me, Satan. And then Jesus goes into talking about, guess what, guys? This is what it really means to acknowledge me 
and to follow me, it means that you basically have to live. You have to go through the same thing that I'm going to go through. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow me. And he really gives the hard truth of the gospel of grace that we believe in Jesus. He is the one that saves us. And then he calls us to a life uh, where we give our lives away to him. And uh, he talks about this idea of if you want to save your life, you need to serve me. You want to you lose your life. Uh, if you try to like accumulate wealth, you'll you'll die. If you follow your idols, but if you serve me and if you give your life to me, uh, then you will be blessed. It's kind of like this opposite idea, and that's really the call for us. And so, it's a hard life, in one sense. Because Christians are going against the tide of this culture. Uh, we're going against, we're, we're try, seeking to be holy. We're seeking to love Jesus. We're seeking to do the right thing. Whereas this world, the sinful world I'm talking about, is basically saying, no, just serve yourself. Do what you want to do. Accumulate the most amount of wealth you can. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, no, if you come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. The opposites of God. We think that giving up and serving the Lord will limit us, and Jesus is saying, no, this is, this is how you're made. You're made to love Me. You're made to serve Me. You're made to give everything you have for Me. And guess what? You're going to find that in that, you're going to have this abundant life that God is going to meet you and it's going to be amazing. But it's not what we normally think. It's, it's a hard teaching that Jesus is giving. And so, right after He says this, and this is the area we're getting into now, Jesus has this amazing display of His glory. It's called the transfiguration. And um, with the hard message of the Gospel, with the dying uh, to yourself, Jesus gives a lot of grace. And He reveals Himself in a new way to His disciples. So let me read here Mark 9.2. I know that was a long introduction, but stay with me. Mark 9.2, And after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them. And His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And, they, and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Of course, Peter's just going to spout out something. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what, what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked Him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that He should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to Him 
whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Okay. One of the things I was thinking about in this passage is how our memories, uh, if you can remember your first memory, it was probably, as a little kid, uh, if you can just keep going back and back and back, it's probably some huge event in your life. It's probably like, for me, here's what it was. I think I was three years old, my mom said. And uh, our family used to camp a lot. And I think we were either in Western Maryland or um, Pennsylvania. But during this camping trip, like a couple big things happened. One is a skunk came right into our, our campground. I remember that. And I think my dad or something threw a marshmallow at it or something. Okay? And the other thing I remember is that there was a huge tower. Then we went on a hike. And it was like, I think one of those towers like that the, the, the forest rangers would use to like make sure there's no fires or something like that. And as a little kid, I remember going up that tower with my dad, like way above the tree line. And, and the steps, you know, had openings. You know, and for a little kid, it was just kind of scary. And I think my mom was kind of freaking out. Why, did I, why do I remember those events? Because they were amazing. I was a little kid and, and they impressed on my memory something. You know, it was out of the normal. It's not every day a skunk comes in, you know. It's not every day you're a little kid and you're climbing way up this tower. It was like a new thing. It was making an impression on me. And as I think about this story, I think that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus had just told them that this is what the Gospel means. You know, to believe in Me. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And guess what? Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow Me, guys. He was, he was giving them the call of the Gospel. And in this very next story, Jesus is giving His grace and revealing Himself. He's revealing His glory. And so, what I want to say tonight is, we need a transfiguration in our life. We need a picture of God's glory. In order to live out your Christian life, you need to be impressed with the Gospel. You need to be impressed with who Jesus is in a bigger way than you can imagine. And so, the transfiguration number one, we need that because we need an experience of God's glory. If you're going to live the Christian life here at the University of Maryland in this culture... uh, and you're going to seek to stay holy, and you're going to seek uh, God, and you're going to seek to go against the crowd and live a life of justice, social justice, live a life of loving people, live a life of serving people, you're not just going to be able to muster up the strength yourself. You need God's grace. You need an experience of His glory. And uh, that's what we see here. So Jesus takes Him up on the mountain. He was transfigured before them and simply... He was changed into His heavenly body. Uh, it was like Peter, James, and John got a picture of heaven for a few moments. And here's Elijah. <laughs> here's Moses. Here's Jesus. Uh, there's radiant light. There's a cloud. I mean, and it says in verse 3, His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. It's kind of like that commercial with the gum, you know, the ladies in... Is it a dentine commercial? I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. She's English. She's English, and all of a sudden she's she's huh? Yeah, orbit gum. Okay, it's like bing. Okay. 
No ble- you know, on earth, could bleach them. Um, Elijah and Moses, and they were talking, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus. So it's like they show up, boom, and then the voice and they're gone. I mean, it's an amazing event that's happening, happening right here. It's a lasting impression that Jesus is giving them. And Jesus is revealing to them uh, Himself. Now, one of the things to think about here is that um, uh, Jesus is meeting them, meeting these disciples in their sensory experience in their mind, but also in their eyes. And uh, one of the things, you know, I was thinking about is that, you know, God created us in His image. Have you ever thought, like, why do I have eyes? Well, the Scriptures would say you have eyes because um, God is the one who sees and we are made in His image. Why do we think? Because God thought first and He created us in His image with a brain and a mind to think. Why do I talk? Why do I communicate? Well, the Scripture says we communicate and talk because God is the one who communicates and talks and we're made in His image. Uh, we have a relationship uh, and we, we are social because God is social. He is uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and they live together. And so, because we're made in God's image, we have all of these faculties. You know, uh, we can relate and so God is giving them an experience of who He is, and uh, it is really making a huge impression upon them. He's giving them literally a mountaintop experience right here. Uh, and they, they are seeing His glory. They're seeing who He is. And ultimately, they will need to have this on their brains. They will need to have this experience. In fact, they talk about it later in 2 Peter 1.16. Peter who was there, he says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is My beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. Peter, James, and John, the disciples, they could not forget this event. It, met, it, it, it was a 3D impression on their minds of the truth of who God is. It was a revelation to them. It was like God was saying, guess what? This world is not all there is. All this stuff is true. Um, Jesus really is my Son. Uh, look at the glory. Look at this transfiguration. And... You know, it's like God was putting windows in our world. You know, He was basically saying, this world is not all there is, guys. Uh, this, you know, we're not in a closed world. Have you ever heard that? It's like a philosophical idea. Like, we're in a closed world. It's just, you know, that, and that's basically what scientific, like, uh, naturalism is. It's like, you know, it's the laws of nature. It's the laws of physics. It's matter, time, chance over billions of years. And that's all there is. You know, we're here for a little while and then we go and we're part of the creation. We're part of the cosmos. And that's all there is. It's just here. And to some extent, what the Lord was doing was He was putting windows in their world and He was saying, guess what? No, it's not just here. This is heaven. This is glory. This is what you're going to. It's going to be awesome. And it's all true. Everything I've talked about is true. And this is what the guys remembered. Even in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. 
The glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. They couldn't forget it. They couldn't forget this impression. And so, the question is, now are you going to have an experience like this, like when you walk out here tonight? It is a full, I think it's a full moon tonight, or was it last night? But, I mean, are you going to have like, are you going to look for some experience like this? And I would say like, no, and you shouldn't do that. Okay, but at the same time, this was for the disciples, but it's also for us. Because the disciples are revealing Jesus to us. Uh, they were revealing God's work to us. And, um, and sometimes, you know, the Lord really does touch us in special ways. His Holy Spirit really does work uh, in special ways. And He reveals to us uh, who He is in a deeper way. In fact, that's what, when you first maybe became a Christian, that's what happened to you. You know, you were going about the world thinking it's a closed world and God doesn't exist and whatever. And then all of a sudden, like, things started happening. You started thinking about your life. You started thinking about your purpose in life. You started maybe being overwhelmed with your sin. Maybe you were just overwhelmed with um, depression or whatever. And then somebody told you about Jesus. And somebody told you about a different world. A world where He came into this world and uh, was God and has a plan and has a purpose and is redeeming you and saving you. And all of a sudden, like you were woken up to those ideas. And it, it, it was like fire came into your life. It was like the Spirit came into your life. I was reading um, in this book right here, Dynamics of Spiritual Life. It's about revivals uh, uh, in America and also just across the world. And it was talking about... You guys probably have heard about the, the Great Awakening in America with uh, Jonathan Edwards. This is around like 1730s and so forth. And he talks about kind of what happened there. And I, would, I just want to read a passage to you. So hang in there. But he talks about how all of a sudden like the church was kind of dead. People were going to church. They were doing this, singing hymns, you know, reading, like listening to the Scriptures. They were listening to sermons. But they were just kind of dead. And then all of a sudden, God's Holy Spirit got a hold of them. Okay, uh, it says this, When Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, inherited his grandfather Stoddard's congregation in 1727, he tells us they were, quote, dry bones. He's describing the church. Okay, that's probably not a good description. They were dry bones, possessing the form of godliness, but denying its power. As, Ed, as Edwards saw them, they were respectable, and they had a kind of rote orthodoxy. So they kind of, they believed, but it was just kind of dry. And, and then he says, a rote orthodoxy was shuffled doctrines aimlessly like faded packs of cards. But their ultimate concerns were not God and His kingdom, but land and the pursuit of affluence. So again, they were not really seeking God's heart or His kingdom, but their own kingdom. Their children, Edward says, were given to, this is kind of interesting, night walking and tavern haunting. Uh, so they were going to the bars, walking around at night, getting into all kinds of trouble. Kind of like Route 1. Uh, <laughs> no doubt, here's what he says, no doubt if they had had drugs, they would have used them. So this is uh, uh, Richard Lovelace. He's talking about this. But the generation gap between a powerless orthodoxy and its apostate children was reversed in 1734. As the outpouring of the Holy Spirit began to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Edwards describes the ensuing revival in his, this is the title, Faithful Narrative of the Surprising Work of God. 
A stirring of interest began in the young people as they suddenly seemed to come in direct touch with the realities behind the God talk of the minister. And this interest spread to their parents as the Holy Spirit opened the eyes of their hearts and illuminated theological concepts. The opaque orthodoxy of the general laity suddenly became a transparent medium for vision through which they saw the glory of God. The gravity of covetousness, which had drawn their hearts to earthly concerns, was reversed. The Word of God suddenly had free course in congregational worship since the laity were now in touch with the regions described in the minister's sermons. Hymns were now a delight rather than a habit and a duty. The lay people's passivity and witness gave way to new concern for others. The illumination of the heart which brought converts in touch with the reality of God simultaneously revealed to them how deeply sin gripped their own lives. And so you see, all of a sudden, all this stuff that they talked about and was out there became real. It became illuminated in their hearts. Like the things of God, their sin nature, who God is, His glory, His purpose, all that like, boom! That's what, that's what God's glory does. That's what God's glory does to us. And so, think about your life. Where, do, where could you have a revelation of Jesus and His glory? And I would say, here's, here's what we really believe and what the Scriptures teach. You know where the biggest place of God's glory ultimately is? Usually it's in the church. It's in the church. It's where, it's where you, you're, you're hearing God's Word preached. It's where you're praying. It's where you're um, with other Christians. It's where you're uh, enjoying the Lord's Supper, baptism, these different things. Like the People call these the means of grace. Do you want to experience God? And you know this because a lot of you guys have been on retreats. You've been to Christian camps. And like you come home from them and it's like you've been on the mountain, right? It's like you've been around, you've been in the means of grace and you've seen God's glory. You've been with other Christians. You've fellowshiped. You've heard God's word preached. You've like been thinking about your life. You know, you've been praying and all these things. And it's like all that stuff gets stirred up and it's powerful. And to some extent, that's where you see God's glory. That's where Jesus becomes 3D to you. It's when you're around the means of grace. And so consider that. Like, are you committed to the church? Are you committed to RUF? Are you committed to a small group? Do you just feel dead and dry? You know, are you reading your Bible? Um, Because that's a huge way that God gets a hold of you. And all of a sudden, He makes those things. But ultimately, it's about the Holy Spirit coming and transforming you. And the Holy Spirit comes by belief. (laughs) Because we believe... Holy Spirit comes. All right, that was a long point. Let me keep going. All right, the other thing is we need a transformation because uh, we need truth. Because we need to know God's revelation connects the dots. And what do I mean by that? Well, as you look at this story, um, we see Peter, James, and John, and then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus in this cloud, this transfiguration. And so this story, it's interesting, has all kinds of parallels with the Old Testament. We don't know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. Maybe they had name tags. I don't know. I mean, they didn't have pictures of Moses and Elijah. But for some reason, they knew that's Moses and that's Elijah. This is great, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Let's build three tents. But what I want to point out is this story has a real connection to the Old Testament. Uh, It has a real connection to the truth that they had learned. As, as Jewish folks. And 
It's got lots of parallels. The setting. They were on a mountain. Think back. Where was Israel, or where was somebody from Israel on a mountain? Well, Moses received the law of God in Exodus 19 on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. God comes down on that mountain in a cloud of glory. He speaks His Word. And so you see all these parallels? Um, in, back in Exodus, says, God says, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Mark 9, Jesus took with Him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. So, there's all these parallels. Uh, they were experiencing what the Old Testament calls the Shekinah glory. It's the glory of God upon the face of Moses. Remember when Moses was up there receiving the law? His face like became really bright and when he came back down from the mountain, he had to like wear a veil. Um, and so... But here we have Jesus, the greater Moses, who is now radiant, um, appearing before them. So there's all these connections. And then we have God's voice speaking. The Lord spoke to Moses um, back in Exodus 33. And He told him, told him who He was. And He said, I will make all My goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you My name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then coming forward into Mark, you know, we have the voice saying, This is my beloved son. And so we have all these parallels, and ultimately we have Moses and Elijah showing up. <laughs> and they are representing the law and the prophets. Okay, in the Old Testament, Moses is considered the one representing the law because he was the one God gave the first four, five books of. Uh, the law to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and we have Elijah who represented the prophets. And so you see these connections. The, the apostles are getting the dots connected. They're seeing that, you know what, this truth about Jesus is not just Jesus alone over here, but this has been prophesied. This is in direct connection and unity with the Old Testament. And here is Jesus, and everything is coming together. Okay? And that should help us. As, we, as you think about the Scriptures, as you think about the Christian faith, it's not just Jesus showed up and like it's just Jesus or it's just His sayings. Jesus is in the line of these prophets. Moses and Elijah, they were all pointing to Jesus. They were all saying, it's about Him. And so, uh, as you think about experiencing God and have a, having a, uh, the grace of His transfiguration, what you need to know is, do, you know, do you understand what the Scriptures are? The Scriptures are this unified body of truth that we can trust. And the apostles were getting the dots connected in their life. Okay, That's going to help you grow. That's going to help you fight the fight. That's going to help you remember, even though you're maybe a science professor or whatever, it's like saying that's... You know, malarkey. You know, all that stuff you're learning over there uh, in church or the Bible. It's it's fairy tales. Well, you know, we believe this world has windows. We believe that there is a supernatural. We believe that God did come down. That God spoke. That God revealed Himself through the ages. And this is why we believe it. And we believe on the testimony of these apostles. And these guys went and died because of what they believed. Because they really saw these things. They couldn't get it out of their mind. That's why Peter's always talking about it. We saw Him on the holy mountain. We saw the glory. I'm not going to deny my faith. He went to death for it. Alright, the last thing. 
And the last thing is simply this. The transfiguration is ultimately all about pointing to Jesus and our need to see Jesus. Okay? Uh, And so, in this story, the Father is highlighting Jesus the Son. I mean, that's the main thing. The Father is highlighting Jesus and the Son. um, And Peter, he's terrified. He begins to talk. Um, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. But here's the Father's response. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. It's like Moses and Elijah were pushed away. What's going on? Well, God is highlighting that Jesus, it's all about Jesus. It's all about His Son. Um, That this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. He's the Son of God. He's God Himself. You saw the miracles. I am confirming once again that this is my beloved Son. The Father said the same thing at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son. And ultimately... Uh, Moses and Elijah fall away. They are not told to believe in Moses. They're not told to believe in Elijah and to trust him. They're told to believe in Jesus. That's that's what we're called to do. And so, um, this is interesting because um, God is making a huge point here. He's saying that Moses stood for the law. But we have the one who fulfilled the law here. You couldn't fulfill the law. You couldn't keep it. You couldn't do the right thing. Because of our sin. And Moses falls away and it's Jesus who fulfilled the law. The greater Moses is here. The mediator. The one Moses was pointing to is here. Look to Him. And Elijah the prophet who did lots and lots of miracles. And Jesus is the greater Elijah. Uh, He's the prophet. And ultimately, um, there's this question at the end here where you know the apostles are still somewhat confused and they're asking about Elijah. Why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And Jesus said uh, to them, Elijah does come first, but to restore all things. And they're actually talking, it's talking about John the Baptist. That John the Baptist was the one who pointed to Jesus. And he was kind of like an Elijah. He, remember, he, I think we talked about it in the beginning of the semester that he was dressed in camel hair and ate locusts, lived out in the wilderness. And when the people saw John the Baptist, they thought Elijah. And in Malachi, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And this was pointing to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, his main call was, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus. And so all the prophets, especially Elijah, are saying, and John the Baptist are saying, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about what He's going to do as the Lamb of God. And this is going to be what you need to latch on to as you walk and deny yourself, take up the cross and follow Jesus. You have to look to Him. And you have to be comforted by Him. And you have to be amazed by His glory. And you have to like be amazed by the glory of the cross and His death for you and what He has done. And you have to constantly preach that Gospel to yourself. You have to stir up your heart 
to know Jesus and who He is. And that's what's going to help you live for Christ and defeat sin in your life and to love people and to serve people and to be joyful people because you have this incredible experience with Jesus daily. Are you going to get dry? Yes. Are you going to fail? Yes. But you go back to Jesus in repentance and faith. That's what it is. That's what it means. And when Jesus gets a hold of you, and when you see His glory and what He has done for you, it, it will have an incredible effect. And I was thinking about Castaway. I've probably ter- told this illustration before, but one of my favorite movies, Tom Hanks, there on the island, the FedEx guy who has a plane crash, you know, and he's there alone on the island. And uh, there's an interesting thing that happens to him while he's there. You know, he's he, he's very depressed, um, but um, there's there's one thing he looks at constantly throughout that movie. Do you remember what it was? It was the locket from his wife, you know, that he still had, like in his his pocket watch or whatever, you know. And uh, you know, when he's there in the cave and when he doesn't know what to do and um, it looks really dark, he keeps looking at that picture of his wife and because that is the hope for him and uh, that is the hope that that keeps him going that love he experienced that experience with that woman uh, the love the relationship the connection that is what keeps him going on it ultimately makes him risk and go out on the sea and he you know he ultimately uh, you know the ship finds him and he gets back on land and then it's kind of a sad twisting of the Story, but I'm not going to tell you that. You have to watch it. But it's the it's the woman. It's it's this relationship. It's this love that kept him on. That kept him going. And that's what the gospel really should do to us. The glory of Jesus, His love for you, His coming for you, His saying, "Hey, you're not alone here. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm giving myself to you." All of that helps us, encourages us to go on. Let me pray. Father, thanks for tonight. Thank you that. You were transfigured in front of these disciples to give them a very huge impression of Your glory. I pray that we would have uh, a firm experience with You, Your Holy Spirit, to know that we are Your children. uh, To know that You love us deeply. If we don't have that, I pray that we would ask You for it. uh, To reveal Yourself to us so that we might know Jesus is our Savior. That To know that Jesus is the one... Uh, who died for us and rose for us and is coming back for us. Uh, One day we will be with You in glory. And so we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. last song is called um, The Sands of Time and uh, Chris talked about transfiguration and uh, the theme of glory and uh, the song has a series of images of Christ in our relationship with him and so I encourage you to meditate on these images um, and use them as as one of these windows uh, by which we can use to see God and to see his glory.